significant one. And I've, I've really looked forward to getting to this verse and uh, pray that it will be a blessing to you as it's been a blessing to me and to the world. Uh, we'll just ask the Lord for grace because uh, we will need grace. There's a few details we'll have to take carefully, right? We'll have to take very careful attention to, to help us understand it. And uh, I trust the Lord will help us understand what the righteousness of God is. What is the righteousness of God in this text? Okay, so that would be one thing that you really want to try to capture today as far as you're growing in the theology of grace, as you want to understand what the Bible says and be students uh, that are approved, right? Rightly dividing the word of truth. We, we want to be exact, exact. I remember one seminary professor, was what he was talking about, but he said he took his pinto into the shop and he said, you hear that sound back there? It's like there's air coming through the, the window or the door. And the mechanic just looked at him and said, yeah, it's a Pinto. It's not a Mercedes. Right? This, is, this is just what you bought um, because it wasn't extremely precise and exact. But there are certain areas that we have to be very precise and exact. And that takes time. It takes attention. It takes thinking. It takes skill. And then... Once you have that, it takes the Holy Spirit to really make these truths your own. So we'll ask him to do that. Uh, let's uh, read out loud together. This is my translation. It's not a whole lot different, but I do like the parallel here presented this way. Uh, so if you would read that out loud with me, we're going to look at verse 17, which is the second four. Right, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, you have three fours here, right? For I'm not ashamed, for it is the power for the righteousness of God. So we're going to try to understand how all those fit together. But what we'll focus on today is this, this verse 17, the righteousness of God. But would you read the whole thing with me? Let's read it out loud together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who are believing, both to the Jewish people first and also to Greeks, for the righteousness of God in it is being revealed from faith unto faith, just as it is written, but the righteous is living from faith. Let's pray. Lord, what a joy it is to jump into these verses, and I ask for your Spirit's enabling, uh, his strength. I pray for your blessing on it. Uh, bless our church body. Uh, Lord, I pray that even those who aren't, aren't here would be able to reconnect with this verse as they watch it online. Um, but Lord, that all of us would grow together in the school of grace. Uh, because we, Lord, we live in times where we know that um, there are false teachers. There are whole world systems. As you prophesied, there are doctrines of demons that are spoken by smiling people, very gracious people on the outside, but that are energized by spiritual darkness. And so we need our eyes opened and understanding and solid, laid solid on the foundation of your word, your gospel. And so we ask for that today. Uh, we pray that you would comfort our souls from the gospel today. 
We pray that someone would come from the storm-tossed sea of turbulence into the safe haven of gospel faith today. Dear Spirit, that is your work. You've promised to do it through the preaching of your word. So we pray that you would, dear Holy Spirit, use your word to that end. We ask, as a speaker, I would be out of the way as you use your word. May we all be doers of your word today. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump into it together. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, I don't know if you've recently heard one of these, but often we find uh, jokes, uh, comic strips about heaven and coming to St. Peter. Um, there, there, there are some that are, that are comical. Uh, okay, now listen up. Nobody gets in here without answering the following question. Train leaving Philadelphia at 1 p.m. It's traveling 65 miles per hour or another. Math phobia nightmare, right? You don't want to see that at the gate of heaven. I like this one. Uh, Colonel Sanders, he's the Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, at the pearly gates. That would be really bad. That would be really bad. But what do, what do the gates of heaven actually look like? Nothing like this. Nothing like Ah, uh, the arduous rending. Nothing like a joke. What do the gates of heaven actually look like? Anybody want to tell me? What does the Bible talk about? The New Jerusalem. The gate is what? A pearl. I would love to see the clam and the ocean that brings us that pearl. All right. Um, so you you read that. Twelve gates, twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the streets of the city, pure gold, like transparent glass. Uh, the idea that the things in this life that we hold so dear and precious, there it's just like, you know, you walk on it. What would the gate of heaven look like to us on this side of eternity? I think Martin Luther describes it well. He said... Romans 1.17, that place in Paul, writing, was for me the gate to paradise. The verse that we're looking at today for, for Luther was actually the gate of heaven. How could that be? Well, let's take a moment to walk carefully through it, and I believe it will be the same for you. You'll see it the same yourself. All right, so we have these three reasons of why we are not ashamed of the gospel, and today we get to this third one, but let's take a moment to review for our own sake, for memory. Uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Let's all say the first reason out loud together, why are we not ashamed of the gospel? Let's all say that. The first one, I am not ashamed because the gospel is powerful. Don't be ashamed of this dynamite, because you have no idea what God's going to do as you share it. Secondly... Because the gospel is for everyone. Let's all say that one. I am not ashamed because the gospel is for everyone. And so you don't need to be ashamed today because everyone that you present it to, they deserve to hear it. They deserve to hear it. And then today, 
the reason that we're going to see, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel makes me right with God. I'm not ashamed of this, because this is what makes me right with God, declares me to be righteous in His presence. So let's say that one out loud together. I'm not ashamed because the gospel makes me right with God. The gospel makes me right with God. Good. And if you're in, in your notes there, I think we have a little detail there. It unleashes God's saving power. It unveils a right standing with God is open for everyone. And then reason three, it makes me right with God. All right, so let's jump into this idea of being right with God because of the gospel. We'll look at three main ideas. The divine revelation is the righteousness of God. Divine revelation, the righteousness of God. The essential condition for that is from faith to faith. And then the supporting quotation, the just shall live by faith. We'll, we'll give most of our time to that first idea, this divine revelation. The righteousness of God is being revealed. Okay? All right, so let's look at the divine revelation of God, righteousness of God. For the righteousness of God is being revealed. The righteousness of God, in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is being revealed. What is revealed? It's God's righteousness. That idea of righteousness, this is the first time this word has come up in the book of Romans, even though we've been studying it here for several months. And it becomes a primary idea, a primary, you can call theme, if you like that type of word. It's just a, an idea that's repeated throughout. And in fact, it becomes the main idea as far as the text goes, the righteousness of God. So we should understand what this word is. It's a primary word in scripture. Righteousness, being declared righteous would be the verb. Righteousness, the noun. Right, This thing that we have to be just is a neighboring word. Justify is the verb for being made righteous, often the word justify. Righteousness and justify, or being made righteous, occurs 162 times in the 66 books of your Bible. If we include the Old Testament translated into Greek, 162 times, that's a lot. Guess how many are in the book of Romans of those 162? 44. More than a fourth of the times that that verb and noun occur in your Bible, it's in this book. I'll just show you what that looks like. Uh, this is just one of the words, but you could just see. It's a whole lot of times in Romans compared to the rest of the books of the Bible. And so it's helpful for us to understand what righteousness is. One verse would be helpful from Psalm 143, verse 2. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in God's sight, no man living is righteous. According to the Old Testament, no man is righteous in God's sight. And so, we won't go there, but there are several amazing passages. In fact, let, let me just pause here and encourage you, after this sermon, this afternoon, to write down these verses, okay? And later today, meditate on 
Isaiah 45, 21 to 25. Okay, Isaiah 45, 21 to 25. And Isaiah 53, 11 and 12. After we consider this today, those will bless your socks off. It is worship, worship material. Okay? But we got to understand Isaiah's preaching uh, in light of Jesus. Okay? So that's what we're doing here. Let's take some time with it. Righteousness. A meeting of a standard. Doing what is right. And so that may be like me paying my bills, me paying my taxes according to New York standard. But there is a standard of God that to be right with him, these verses are saying, is not possible. No one, not even the Pharisees. If you feel like you are right with God, based on that verse, you're wrong. All of us fall short of that kind of glory. No one living is righteous. And that's just one of many verses, and we're actually, chapter 1, 2, and 3 are all about that. Okay, so we'll deal with that in the weeks to come. But here we not only have righteousness, we have this concept, righteousness of God. And that's what we need to take a moment with. What is the righteousness of God? In the gospel, the righteousness of God is being revealed from faith unto faith. Right, so you see in your notes there, we have three ideas. I guess, kind of the, the gloss of what that could mean. What could that mean? You just read righteousness of God, but where does your mind go with that? Okay, so just be patient with me. Okay? We're, we're going to take a moment with this because it's essential. It's so important. Can you follow me? You can tune out and come back later when I just give the conclusion of this section, but it would be helpful for you to follow me. Okay, the righteousness of God, first of all, there could be the righteous character that God possesses. You see that where I could say the righteousness of Tim, referring to the right deeds that I do according to New York State. So we look at righteousness of God, yeah, of course God is righteous. God is always righteous. We could be thinking the righteousness that God possesses. And that's possible in the text. Now we know that God's good character is being revealed. Would be the sense of that. Do you understand that? This is the righteousness that God has, and the gospel declares that. Now, you know that's not what the text is saying as we continue to look at it. A second way that I think a lot of folks would say the text is saying, and, and there's a sense in which this is true. All of these, of course, are true. But secondly, the saving power of God to redeem those who believe. Uh, the saving power of God uh, to redeem those who believe. Now we know that God is making us right with him in the gospel. So it's revealed that God is making us right with him. And that idea is, is focusing on the relational aspect of God's deliverance. God comes to save us, to deliver us. And so we see the righteousness that God provides. He makes me right. And so it's not talking about necessarily a, a declaration of a right standing, but the idea is that God is the subject and he rights us. 
God writes me. God makes me right. It's not what he possesses, it's what he does. The third one is uh, where, where I, you know, historically we stand, and that is that this is a right standing that God gives. And so God is the source of this. It's not focusing on this is what God does, but on this comes from God as the source, and then it's focusing on the person that it's given to. This is the righteousness of God as a package gifted to you. Something I can have. A, a righteousness this kind, a God-type right. Never wrong. No man's right with God. That's what I need. I need a righteousness that only God can make and only God can give. The source is God. That's the essence of the righteousness of God. This is, thirdly then, the righteous standing with God, like a, a God-like level of right that is given or credited to those who believe. A right standing of God is given. And, and I say this is closest, though I think those other, the, the last two are really the sense of it, and as we look at the, this becomes a, a, a primary idea Uh, in the rest of the book of Romans, that righteousness comes by faith. He's going to say that seven more times, um, that that idea. But but this this concept of it being gifted to us is something that that occurs often. So if you're taking notes there, in fact, I would encourage you to put this in the margin of your Bible. We have two other occurrences where it's it's talking much more clearly. Romans 3.24, being justified or declared right as a gift. Okay, so that's that idea, and this is, you may have heard of this, alien righteousness. Aliens? The idea is it's not natural to me. It's something out of this world that comes to me. And that is the righteousness that Jesus provides is given to me. Alien righteousness. So Romans 3.24, being justified as a gift by his grace. Also Romans 5.17, that is a gift of righteousness. And I think the clearest illustration of this would be Paul's own testimony in Philippians 3 where he talks about all the works that he tried to do to get right with God before he became saved and forgiven and made right with God. He was trying to establish his own righteousness. Listen to Philippians 3 verses 8 and 9. More than that, I count all these things, all these pharisaical rituals, that he talks about being so zealous about the law, all of those things, loss. Because I didn't gain Christ through those things. I count all these things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus my Lord, Messiah, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish, trash, that I may gain Christ. And listen to this. And may be found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So this is a gift of God through Jesus Christ, received by faith. A right standing. And this was Luther's 
eye-opening concept. An alien righteous gifted to me. It is the gate of heaven if you believe it. I am given a right standing with God. I am actually before God. He views me as Jesus, positionally, as his child. I would summarize it this way, the right standing that God gifts through making us right with him. That's how you put both of those second and third ideas together. The right standing that God gives through making us right with him. So I like the New Living Translation. Uh, They kind of gloss all this together and they, they totally lose the Greek. But they give a good sense of what it means. Listen to the New Living Translation paraphrase. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. In his sight, in the courtroom of heaven, I made right right standing. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. All right, so what is this? this the, the, what is revealed? The righteousness of God. Where is it revealed? Anyone pick up where the righteousness of God is revealed? The righteousness of God in it is being revealed. Well, what is the it? Anybody remember from verse 16? I am not ashamed of what? The gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For in it, for in the gospel, in the good news that Jesus would die and pay the penalty for my sin, and Jesus would offer me his own right standing, his robes for mine, in that gospel message, the righteousness of God is being revealed. It's in the gospel message. My sin is placed in Jesus' ledger. He dies in my place. Capital punishment takes my hell. His righteousness is placed in my ledger. I'm declared to be right in the courtroom of God. Amazing, amazing thing. What does he mean by reveal? That's our third question here, right? Uh, what is revealed? The gospel. What does he mean by reveal? The idea of made known or literally to uncover, to make known or disclose. The idea of a cloth that's covering a, a painting or a piece of art and then there's this great reveal. And you show everybody the gospel. The righteousness of God is in the gospel. That's the idea there. There's a great revealing that that God had to do. He had to reveal that his right standing is made known to us. Why did God have to make it known? Because we would have never dreamed it up ourselves. Our heart is this. I can make it myself. I'll do it my way. I don't care if it's five pillars, 613 commands, mitzvahs. I'll do it my way. And so by nature, we try to make our way to God. Our heart is, I'll earn it myself. God will like me on my own works. And so we try to offer our own goodness to God. 
And this is many, many civilizations, even to this day. I think this is the majority of the world today is doing this in many different forms. They still have a sense that there is a God through general revelation. And, and I, I would take a moment to read all of chapter 1, and, and I'm going to try to do that next week. Uh, put this in chapter 1 before we pause. But, but what's happening here is, is all of the world today is grasping Romans 1, seeing that there is a God, and they're trying to appease him. Western Christianity has gone, not Western Christianity, Western culture, American culture has deviated even from that idea of God and they're worshiping creation. And and they're setting up their own moral agenda of what is right and wrong. And it's the same. To appease their conscience, you have to have a certain number of rainbows on your social media profile or you have to have a certain number. And the, the next month gives you another social thing you have to do to virtue signal to everybody, I'm still doing it. I'm still in the religion. I'm still doing it. You guys can't fault me. And Romans 1 talks about it. History repeats it over and over. Okay? Um, But most of the world, honestly, the, the vast majority of the world is still in the Romans 1 idea of there is a God and we need to try to make our way to him. But that's not Christianity. That's, that's just understanding, I fall short of the glory of God. This is an amazing God. But it needed to be revealed that this God would come to earth and gift us righteousness. Give you righteousness. Give you a right standing. You say, well, how do I get it? How do I receive it? It is not by your works at all. And so we find our next big idea here, this um, essential condition. The righteousness of God is being revealed. You would have to reveal it because we would not come up with this by nature. We would try to earn it. But this is the way God gives it to us, from faith unto faith. The righteousness of God is given with this condition, believing that it is so. Believing that there is a God and that that I need to deal with the revelation that is God. And that response of faith actually is the condition that saves my soul. I'm made right with God if I am believing that gospel message. If you are believing today in Jesus, this gospel message, your soul is saved because it comes, what does the text say? From faith. From faith, not from works. And people get really, really religious to try to earn it. And people get really religious even in the secular side of things. They get, not insane, but they go to great lengths to try to appease their conscience saying, now I'm finally doing enough to the world's soul that I feel good about myself. Or I finally feel that I'm doing enough that... that, uh, The sacrifice to my ancestors is enough. All of these different things are just trials and errors. And so we need to have a faith that, and we dealt with this last week, so I won't go go through this in detail, but the saving faith includes knowing the facts, right? Then you accept the facts as true, but that's not saving faith. You may be here today and you say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. 
Have you trusted him? Have you said, this is true for me? I don't care what people say. I'm not ashamed of this. This is the power of God for my salvation. I trust that this is true. And so it's from faith unto faith. And so there's this repetition from faith to faith. Um, and, and so there's probably a hundred different ways that people have taken this uh, from faith to faith. Uh, there is probably more written about this verse than, than all of Romans, uh, any other section of Romans. But this idea of from faith to faith is another one that, that confuses people. And it is confusing because it's a little ambiguous. What is he talking about? Like I read that. I've read that so many times. From faith unto faith. What is, and it's probably just the idea of repeating it. It's so important. Um, from faith to faith. From, from, this, from, from beginning to end, it's faith. That's the, the way the New Living Translation there translates. That's, that's, that's idea. But, but I, I kind of feel it's more of this way, that it's from faith that grows to faith. And so by placing my faith in it, it's not like I place my faith in it one time. I'm continuing to believe from faith, and that just starts the engine. And it's to faith, to faith, to faith, to faith, to faith. I'm going to continue believing in this gospel. From faith unto faith that begets a life lived out by faith. And, and that is where the quote, quotation goes. Okay, so it's from faith to faith. You start and you end by faith. As soon as you start to try to earn it again, it's not faith. And we get back to Galatians. And he says, that's heresy. That's a different gospel. I am always standing before God because of Jesus. And my faith is always there. That changes the way I live out of gratitude, never out of guilt, trying to earn it. All right, let's really move on here to our third one. Faith unto faith, the emphasis or the continuation. And that's where I'm taking that. From faith unto faith. Then we give this quote. This is an interesting, a supporting quotation. Our last one here. Habakkuk's, uh, Habakkuk's call to faith. Just shall live by faith. Take a little bit of the setting here. The setting in the quote. Habakkuk gives a, a call to, to trust in God. And you probably have this in your Bible, but Habakkuk 2.4 is who he's quoting here. Um, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. What's happening here is Israel is being invaded and they're seeing their land destroyed by this wicked country, Babylon. And the Chaldeans are... Just messing everything up. And, and, and the prophet has a hard time with this. And you and I would too. Right? There's this wicked country. Like much more wicked than Israel. And, and so he's talking back and forth to God. And God tries to encourage him by saying, listen. On an individual level, you need to keep believing. Because the righteous one will live by his faith. And Habakkuk, that's the whole message. That's where he ends. It's a beautiful thing. Let me just read the end of Habakkuk. As he's dealing with God and he's saying, God, why would you punish us with a nation more wicked than us? And God says, listen, trust me. You keep living by faith and you will be saved. You will live. Listen to how he ends this. 
Back at 3, 17 and 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, there be no fruit on the vines. Though the yield of the olives should fail, the fields produce no food. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold, there be no cattle in the stalls. That's a dire prediction. That's like if we said, though the grocery stores are totally empty, my bank account is zero. That's what he's dealing with. That's what he's staring in the face. He's saying, even though all that happens to me, then he goes on to this, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He recognized that he continued to believe in God and he was saved. He was soul saved. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds feet, makes me walk on my high places. And so... Habakkuk lived by faith. Just a side note for our Jewish friends here who've learned Hebrew. Paul is not quoting the Septuagint here. Uh, So if anyone has told you that Paul never quotes the Hebrew, you're wrong and they're trying to send you down a wrong path. Here he doesn't quote the Septuagint, the Greek translation. He quotes the Hebrew uh, translation of Habakkuk 2.4. The just shall live by faith. And so the end of that for both the prophet and Paul were the same. The righteous is alive. You have life. You have physical life, sustained life. Even even if there's no groceries, you do have life because you have deeper than that, you have spiritual life. If you're hungry spiritually today, God will feed you by faith. Trusting in the gospel, you will have the new birth. Life being made right with God. You'll be born again spiritually. We're all born spiritually dead. The gospel is God's power that's the sperma, is the Greek, that comes into our soul and gives spiritual life. I now have spiritual life where I was spiritually dead. Blasts our eyes open It's a defibrillator for our spiritual heart and our birth into the kingdom of God. And we are alive. You're alive, spiritually alive. And no one can ever take that from you. You have spiritual life by faith in the gospel. Do you have this life today? Do you have this life today? I'm going to close with three quick um, applications, but I just want to close with the idea of Luther here as far as a story goes, to illustrate this. This is not by any works of your own making. And I listen to Christians, and I sometimes wonder if they, they've gone past the gospel, and their works. That's not Christian. After a near-death experience, Luther left his law profession to become a monk. I'm sure his parents were happy about that. He sold everything because of his conscience, because of lightning. He sold everything he had went to live in a monastery, but he still had the pain, the null void. I'm not right with God. I can't do enough. I can't do enough. Became extremely ascetic, self-disciplined like crazy, never saves, devoted, religious. What must I do to be saved? He would starve himself. He would beat himself till he was covered in blood, denying his flesh, 
never saved. He's trying with all his might to be religiously right with God by his works. Frenzied. And then this older monk encouraged him to read Romans. And he got to Romans 117 as he studied Romans and it eyes opened up. This righteousness of God is not something I earn. It is something that's given to me in the gospel. Boom! Paradise is open. Guilt is gone the rest of his life. Free to marry. Free to live his life for the glory of God with no guilt. And that's what motivated a life-changing righteousness. It wasn't the, the work's guilt of religion. It was a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that will save you and make you progress in sanctification. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It's only by faith. And so, as he conceived this truth, he said, that Romans 1.17 was altogether, I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. That place in Paul was, for me, truly the gate to paradise. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus what a, what a beautiful, beautiful refrain there. This is all my what? Righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So four quick applications. I'm not just going to read them and we'll be done. Because you're justified based on faith in Jesus, number one, you can always pray. You can always come right into the very throne room of God. You can bring all of your burdens, not because, oh, today I was really good. You can always pray because of Jesus. And if you're trying to get there by any fasting or prayer, or I prayed for five hours, now God's going to hear me, it's works righteousness. We come there because Jesus earned it, and we love to be there. You can always pray. Number two, you do not have to bear any feeling of guilt at all. The guilt is gone. Guilt is gone. You have no guilt before God. It's all gone. It's a part of your past. You have love forever. Number three, you have a future in God's house, fullness of joy. You think of where am I? Who am I? Where am I headed? All of that's the gospel. Number three, you have a future in God's house, fullness of joy. And then fourthly, you have motivation to live a believing life from faith unto faith. How do you live the Christian life? The gospel. Jesus is changing you from the inside out. It's the only way to live it. Now paradise is revealed. Now I can always boldly pray. Creator God hears all I say. Guilty feelings my heart bans. My guilt is gone. In Christ I stand. His face was hidden by the fall. But now I've come to heaven's hall. While waiting here I give my days to bring all nations to his praise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your righteousness, your righteous standing that you gift, that you gift out of no works of our own. And Lord, we look around and we're just burdened by the, even just in this community, the things people are doing to try to assuage their guilt. And some of it's very secular, but some of it's very religious, Lord. 
and, and you're telling us about that. And I just, I just wonder if in this room there's folks who've tried to earn it. Lord, they try to earn their prayers to you. They try to earn their favor with you by deeds. Like Paul did so many years, like Luther did so many years. I pray that they would find the paradise gate today. That your right standing, your very own righteousness is gifted to us by believing. Lord Jesus, and that we would be a motivated people to live out this faith. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just take a moment here. In a moment we'll sing the gospel message. Pastor Andrew will lead us. Let's all praise the Lord. If you have, uh, if you'd like counsel, you say, I'm not sure that I have this eternal life. I'll be standing in the back and be happy to... Um, show you, point you to yon gate. Let's all take a moment to pray, do business with the Lord.